Look at verse 12 and 13. Uh, after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire went the sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Third truth about God's voice I want to share with you tonight. We must intentionally position ourselves to hear his voice. You have to go out of your way to change something about your lifestyle to hear him better if you want to hear him in a better way. You're hearing him to the maximum potential that you can hear him with your current disciplines and what you're doing. Something's got to change. Second one is that we hear him best when we're in his presence, saturated in his presence. And the third truth tonight is that God's voice will most likely not sound like what you anticipate. God's voice will most likely not sound like what you've anticipated it to sound like. We see some different things happening here. Um, verse 11, go forth, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking into pieces the rocks. Now, we're in Kansas. I'm a transplant Kansan. Um, I had to marry in, right? But since I've been out here, I've discovered something that I had never really known consistent strong winds. I mean, in Pennsylvania, where I grew up, the East Coast, we've got mountains. They, you know, they have a wonderful way of, of stopping the mighty rushing wind. But out here, I mean, you know, it'll just blow your hairpiece into the street, you know? I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's incredible the, the dynamic of wind out here that I've experienced. We had just a little while ago when uh, we live outside of Wichita and we were gone and we had a, a storm come through with hail and wind and it blew a couple shingles off, you know. I'm thinking, shingles? Shingles don't blow off. At least they don't in the East Coast, you know. I'm not used to that kind of stuff. And, but wind. But you've never seen wind so strong that it rends a mountain, have you? Have you ever seen wind so strong that the sheer force of its e explosive power blows boulders into powder? That's what Elijah experienced that day. God says to him, sit here on the mountain for a little while because I'm going to talk to you. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes this wind that blows boulders apart. Wouldn't you think that would be the voice of God? I mean, that was big. That was something that wasn't there a moment ago and something way out of the ordinary supernatural. But Elijah recognized that God's voice was not in the wind. And then came what? the earth began to growl. And then all of a sudden, the ground underneath his feet began to tremble with increasing strength until all of a sudden he realized he was in a serious earthquake, hanging on for dear life, rocks falling down the mountain. As he's in a place of fear and danger as the earth is opening up and, and, and growling underneath his body. And now all of a sudden, he realizes, God told me he was going to talk to me. But for some reason, Elijah said, that's not God's voice to me either. Then the third thing happened. Fire began to rain down from heaven. Now, this is significant to me. One of the biggest mistakes we, hear, we make about hearing God's voice, and this especially goes when the gifts of the Spirit are flowing through your life, is that you will just of nature begin to think that the way that God led you last time will be the way he leads you this time to do something. Just 41 days, perhaps, earlier, God had rained down fire miraculously in Elijah's life. The biggest, most public sign and wonder of the day, of his era. And now, here comes the fire again. God said, I'm going to speak to you. We say, 
Some people will go and they'll try to recreate the old events. Well, I was standing right here. And a gray-haired gentleman came and prayed and pushed me real hard in the forehead. Uh, Sir, come here. You're a gray hair. Would you come and, you know. I mean, we get crazy about things like that, trying to recreate. We have such a romantic notion of the way things were. But what about the way things are? What about where you're heading, where you're going? We rely upon our past experience to hear God as being the criteria that we can hear Him now. But you agreed with me a minute ago that very possibly, if not most definitely, God is speaking a whole lot more to us than we're hearing. I don't know about you, but that's a big problem to me. That's not something that I can just say, oh, well, well, maybe I'll get better someday. You know, maybe I'll listen to a couple teaching tapes and, you know, and uh, go in for some counseling. And maybe I'll be better later on. That, to me, that's a crisis moment. That's like a, a church board meeting. They sit around and they say, you know what? Something's wrong. We have won no one to Jesus in a year. Now, either we get this straightened out in seven days or we're shutting the doors down. That's a crisis moment when all of a sudden a church realizes they've had no evangelistic effect. That's a crisis. But instead we say, well, we'll bring in an evangelist with a soul-winning ministry. So then our ACMRs will kind of get fixed up again. You know, but those are crisis moments, but we have the tendency because of our natural complacency as, as, as Americans to say, I've made it this far this way, nothing bad's happened. Peace, peace, and then sudden calamity comes. These are calamity moments. This is God's wake-up call. He's grabbing us by the shoulders and he's shaking us and he's saying, you're not hearing everything I'm telling you. And every word I have to say to you is of the utmost importance. You cannot afford to take another breath into your lungs until you've heard everything that I have to say to you. But we say, if it's really important, he'll send me an email. Elijah saw the way that it happened before come right before his eyes again and even in even a more significant fashion, fire raining from heaven, not just one plume of fire but everywhere. And now he recognizes it's not God. But then the fourth thing happened. What was it? King James says, still small voice. And I know from this morning I learned, I didn't know this, but Paul and Silas used the King James Version. I learned that in the... Of course, we all know that John the Baptist used the New American Standard. So... <laughs> I'll be anxious to see which patriarch you pick tomorrow. <laughs> King James says that still small voice in literal Hebrew is the sound of a gentle blowing. <sighs> Wasn't words. It was a sound. He had heard the wind before. He had felt the earthquake. His spiritual senses had been engaged, recognizing these signs are divine, but they're not the point. His spiritual senses of feeling were engaged as the, the wind is, is kicking up sand on him like a sandblaster. And as he's hearing the roar, I mean, you've been in a windstorm before. And then as the earthquake comes and the ground trembles, he can feel the breath. Organs of his body and bones begin to tremble as the earth, his mountain is sh uh, shaking. His ankles trying to hold his weight up. 
And then the fire, you can feel the heat of the fire and see the light of the fire. His senses are ablaze with stimulus and information, but none of it conveys God's message until the sound of a gentle blowing. Draw two important conclusions from this. God's voice is usually not as dramatic as we anticipate it to be. God's voice is usually not as dramatic as we anticipate. I often share this sort of principle uh, when I'm teaching on the gifts of the Spirit and how to find out God's leading. But I've included it here tonight because I believe it's not only pertinent to the text, it's imperative to our topic. We always think, well, that couldn't be God. That probably was just me. You ever struggled? Is that me? Is that God? Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all lived there? Gone around that mountain 40 years? God's voice is usually not as dramatic. It wasn't the fireworks. It wasn't the earthquake. It, it wasn't the wind. It wasn't a show-stopping grand finale. It was the byline in the back of the bulletin. For some reason, we think if it's God, it's going to be dramatic, significant. And we only pay attention to big things. But what happened to the still, small voice? What happened to the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit? Would you lift a hand tonight if this is true in your life? If you most often hear God quietly through the inner voice of the Holy Spirit, the wordless communication of God's gentle leading. Would you lift a hand if that's the most common way that you hear God's voice, most frequent way? But for some reason, people say, well, I'm not sure if it's God or not because it wasn't audible. I'm not sure if it's God or not because, you know, I, I put the, the towel out in the lawn and, and it wasn't wet with the dew, you know. And, and uh, I said, Lord, if it's really you, kill my neighbor's cat because that cat's driving me nuts and I can kill two birds with one stone. You know, Lord, just, you know... We, we come up with all these crazy concoctions when God's given us the spirit who lives within us, who desires to speak to us, to reveal to us, to lead us, to guide us, to talk to us, to reveal to us the things of Jesus. If you are truly the temple of the Holy Spirit, then make sure your PA system is turned on inside. Let him hear, let him speak to you rather. Second conclusion under this God's voice may not sound like the way we anticipate is that the Holy Spirit's voice is usually not as loud as we anticipate. Not as dramatic, usually. Not as loud, usually. It wasn't the roar. It was the sound of gentle blowing, the still, small voice. Or the, I think the NIV says the gentle whisper. We think about things being dramatic, but what about the volume? Now, let's just say, for example, that your life goes something like this. When you wake up in the morning... Hopefully you brush your teeth. We'll tell by how many people want to talk to you afterwards tonight. But you, you get up in the morning, go through your routine of getting ready. Most people, many people, not most perhaps, I've not surveyed everyone. How many? I've discovered that 97.865% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So I would say perhaps 95.8% of people. In, in, in getting ready, many people go and they turn the noise on right away. TV, radio, something like that. And then they get in their car to go to work or whatever it is, and they've got the noise on. Argument talk radio to really get your adrenaline rolling in the morning. And then you get to work, and I remember when, uh, how many of you work with heathens? Uh, she said, yeah, my father-in-law's waving his hand big. Uh, yeah, a lot of, any church secretaries raising their hand right now? Just curious. You could take a peek, just turn around, Pastor Terry. 
But I remember when I was a teenager, I worked in a window factory. And I would come home and I'd, I mean, I was just, I guess I was dumb, but I'd say, Dad, do you know what this word means? And I'd say to him, he said, oh, don't, don't say that in our house. <laughs> well, Dad, what does it mean? Well, I, I don't know, but it's bad. I know it. I know it's a bad word. I mean, I had words I didn't even know, but they kind of made your ears burn. I knew it was something bad. Limiting that all the time, I just, I, you know, it got the better of me after a while. Not that I gave in and began to talk that way, but it just, it, it was an oppression on my life. And I'll never forget going to pray. When I would go to pray, how hard it was. But I had to break through. I had to make the effort every day to break through or else the accumulation of not breaking through would become an impenetrable fortress in my prayer life. You found it hard. You found like heaven's a, heaven's a million miles away and the heavens are brass. It most likely is because when things just got a little tough, you didn't press through the first time. And pretty just like a callus, it gets thicker and thicker and thicker and more impenetrable, more difficult to remove. You got to do constant maintenance on your heart. But many people, they live a life that's so full of noise. And they, on the way home, more, more noise. And then they get home and they turn the TV on and, and you know, see, you know, Nazi chickens and the women that love them or whatever the storyline is on the afternoon controversy show, you know. And then as they're eating dinner, they sit there and watch TV. And then they put the kids to bed in front of Nintendo while they go and watch, you know, something from Blockbuster. And then they fall off to sleep and they wonder why they can't hear God. If God's voice is truly most often a gentle whisper, and you are living life at 150 decibels, no wonder you can't hear God. He's standing there talking to you. The noise is too loud. See, if God's voice is truly not as loud as we anticipate on many occasions, then what are we doing to change that? I'll never forget, uh, this has been several years ago, do a lot of driving, obviously, and driving down the road, and I began to get addicted to this afternoon political talk radio show. I didn't, I didn't necessarily agree with all the opinions, but he was right about a lot of stuff. Got mad. Oh, that's right. You know, you can't do this. I can't believe they're buying hammers for $900 in the Army. That's just something's wrong with that. You know, that's right. We need to write our, our congressman about that. I would just get torqued up, man. And it would keep me awake. And you know what I noticed in my life after about well, maybe a month of constant diet of that, I noticed that I began to, my temperament began to change. I noticed that, that little things would set me off. I mean, not like I was filled with rage, but I noticed that I had a much shorter fuse than I had before because I had been sowing to this anger, anxiety stuff in my life. Even though the guy was right, even though a lot of it stood for things that I believed in, he was agitating for ratings something in my heart that I didn't want to sow towards. And the Lord spoke to me. I asked, I said, God, where's this coming from? I'm being attacked by the devil? No, I was just being stupid on what I let into my life. You know, some people say, well, come on, if that's the way you feel about stuff, you know, that kind of stuff is wrong. No, I'm, I'm saying that's what the Lord spoke to me. There are people that, that do things very similarly, though. They'll allow anything into their life in the name of entertainment. They'll justify it by saying, well, this movie, it's got a lot of swearing in it but, and a little nudity and adultery and a lot of murder. But, you know, that's the way it really was in this era. That's the way it really was. And, you know, we just can't deny history. People sit down and allow anything to come into their homes with the most minimal amount of excuse. When I was a kid... Um, 
we could see some movies if they were rated G. Like we could go, I remember one time we went to the drive-in and we saw the Disney's Gnome Mobile. My parents were very reticent that anyone would see them there, you know, looking around. I forget the other one. Oh, the Boatniks, that was the other one. We left because they said H-E-C-K in there. We pulled our car out of the drive-thru, drive out and left, you know. For those of you that can't spell, ask a neighbor what it was, all right? And then repent for saying it. I remember another movie that we went to. It was, uh, I think it was Peter Pan, if I remember correctly. We went into a theater that time into the Den of Iniquity. And I remember my parents getting up and leaving because they said G-O-S-H. I said, Mom, what's a bad word? She took me home and opened up Webster's Dictionary and said, do you see this word right here? See what it says right there? Let me read it to you because I couldn't read then. She said, this says euphemism for God. I said, Mom, what's that? She said, that means that when you're saying this, you're really saying God and you're not saying it in a right way. I said, you're kidding me. Because all my friends at school said stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that, you know, even in the small things, we are courting or pushing away God's presence in our lives. And some of you are saying, now, wait a minute. You're talking old-time, clothesline preaching here. Well, if you want to look at it that way, buy me an Amish boogie, buy boogie, buggy, <laughs> and sign me up. Sometimes the lips don't quite work. Although they are big sellers, those Amish boogies. There are people that will allow anything into their homes. Listen, parents, God has placed you in a, in a place of influence over your children's lives. And, and for you to sit there and not even cringe, oh, the last movie we ever saw with my parents, Back to the Future. We were so, all our friends had seen it, so my dad said, all right. We went and sat there, and in the first 15 minutes, they say, Jesus Christ, and they weren't praising him. My dad stood up, and we were, sat in the front. He stood up, lifted his hands, and said, Oh, thank you, Jesus. You're my Savior, and I love you. And though the world may drag you down, I lift you up. I said, Oh, God, come now. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, you know. <laughs> we marched out, you know, out of that thing. He's just praising God, waving his hands. Thank you, Jesus. I confess with my mouth, you're the Son of God. He cured us. But it's our choice. You see, how in the world can you pay someone to come into your house and blaspheme for your entertainment and just let it slide by and not think there's going to be some consequence on grieving his voice from your life? Cry out in Christ as, oh God, speak, Lord. Why are the heavens brass? And then we allow anything into our lives. 